Good morning. I thought it might be a good idea to uh, do a brief follow-up to a podcast we did a little while ago on Israel and the uh, United Arab Emirates and the treaty that has been uh, that was at that point going to be signed. And now that the ink is beginning to dry and uh, relationships are being normalized between the United Arab Emirates and Israel and, and also uh, Bahrain and Israel as well, uh, that is happening as well. This is a big deal. Uh, just uh, even just from a straight-up geopolitical uh, perspective, that is a really big deal. And uh, so it, it changes the dynamic of the Middle East. It, uh, it opens doors that were hitherto unopened and never seemed like they really would likely be opened. Um, you know, as news comes out, we find out that there have been back-channel talking uh, for some time, but it finally now has become a reality. And uh, in no small part, Due to our president and uh, and his uh, advisors, his chief advisor Jared Kushner, obviously uh, being the, the key f- uh, player in putting that together, uh, it's a big deal, and we ought to give kudos where they uh, where they where they you know are deserved certainly. And so, um, but that said, I thought from a prophetic standpoint, it'd be a good idea to take a look uh, once again at this treaty. And and when the last podcast we mentioned that this treaty. Uh, does not in any way necessarily in and of itself fulfill uh, biblical prophecy, but it does uh, It does sort of keep us uh, paying attention to that area because that area is the center of biblical prophecy in, in most regards throughout Scripture. And so, um, so we want to take a look at some of the implications that uh, are and will are arising and will continue to arise around this treaty some of the ripple effect, domino effect, some of the ongoing uh, implications that will take place. Um, with, with, with Donald Trump being at the, the middle of, of so much of the action there and everything, you know, understandably, although I think mistakenly, um, there is, you know, every now and then somebody will bring up, well, gosh, is he the Antichrist and this kind of thing. Uh, I don't think he is, and I don't think that this treaty that is being signed between Israel and some of her Muslim neighbors is necessarily, uh, or is at all, the treaty that is being referred to, scripturally speaking, that uh, the covenant that Antichrist will sign with Israel for seven years. Um, and so, uh, that being said, I don't think this is without implications as we move toward uh, some very important biblical prophecies being fulfilled, and in particular, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, just to kind of uh, touch on the whole idea of Antichrist and Ezekiel 30 and 39. When we talk about Antichrist, primarily we're talking about a period of time when he emerges and uh, uh, and that, that really revolves around what the scriptures describe as Daniel's 70th week. And that is the final week of the prophecy that Daniel was given uh, and, uh, and, and this culminates uh, in, in ultimately the return of Christ. And so that is a set of events that is coming and I think we're getting not just numerically closer and closer because naturally we are as days go by, but I think prophetically, as you look at the stage being set, I think we're getting really, really close to that time, which in my mind means that we are much closer to Ezekiel 38 and 39 being fulfilled. I think Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a separate set of events from Daniel's 70th week, uh, and I think that uh, although some of the players that we read about particularly Gog uh, and Magog, the country Magog, the leader Gog, uh, who we see both in Revelation and also in Ezekiel 38 and 39, though we see uh, him and that country, Russia, um, I believe it's Russia it's referring to, um, 
present in both of those conflicts, I don't think that they are the same conflict. Uh, I think, I feel like it's important for us to recognize that because if we're waiting for Ezekiel 38 to 39 to happen in Daniel's 70th week, I think that we're sort of forcing the passages to say that, and I don't think that's necessarily what, what they're trying to say. I think they're two separate events. Now, I do think that if you're familiar with the Battle of Ezekiel 30 and 30, uh, and culminating in, in, in the cleanup and everything that happens in 39, um, it's not hard to imagine how that conflict, which, you know, it doesn't explicitly say it, but the way the cleanup is described, it may very well be referring to a nuclear element in that conflict. Well, if in fact Ezekiel 38 and 39 involves a nuclear conflict, it's not hard to see how the world, uh, after this relatively local nuclear exchange, begins to rally together to make sure that we protect ourselves from a global nuclear exchange. Uh, under the auspices of a one-world government where uh, a leader will arise and, and ultimately uh, declare that there's going to be peace and safety and we're going to be one world and there's not going to be wars and all that kind of thing. It's not hard to see how the one event could uh, precipitate the other event, uh, namely Ezekiel 38 and 39 precipitating, uh, uh, helping to move forward toward Daniel's 70th week and the world leader, Antichrist, will ultimately uh, preside over revive Roman Empire global government and this kind of a thing. So, But I do think they're separate events, but I think they, they very well could end up becoming connected um, uh, if, in fact, there's a nuclear exchange involved. So uh, that's I'm, that's my take on it. It's not just my take on it. A lot of people hold that view, too. Um, but that is how I kind of see that. Now, that said, what about the peace treaty that uh, has been signed uh, uh, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates? Again, normalizing their relations. Uh, we're, we're seeing the relations uh, also be normalized, as I said again with Bahrain. Does that have any significance? Well, in and of itself, again, it doesn't fulfill prophecy per se. However, the implications of that treaty, I think, uh, can definitely have something to do with laying the groundwork to some prophecy being fulfilled. For example, Ezekiel 38, which I've already referenced a couple of times, let me encourage you to go ahead and read the chapter. But in particular, in verse 4, we're told that God is going to put hooks in the jaws of Magog and Gog, its leader, and ultimately pull them and the nations that they have gathered together, ultimately to come against Israel. And we see that as we read throughout Ezekiel 38, that Israel is clearly in view as the one whom the aggressors come against. Uh, these aggressors from the uttermost parts of the north leading this horde of, of nations around them, including nations again like Persia, or today we would call Persia Iran. Um, uh, Turkey is involved in this. Uh, the nations that Ezekiel 38 would include, you know, again, some of the nations of North Africa, uh, uh, some of the Eastern European uh, nations, and that may be in view as well. And so, um, how does this treaty potentially open the door to those nations coming against Israel? How does this treaty potentially serve a purpose in, in creating, to starting to put the hooks in the jaws of Magog? Well, uh, if you are, if you follow uh, this kind of thing, then you are aware that Russia is uh, the primary armor of many of those nations, of all those nations, actually, she's armed them. But particularly, I'd like to look at uh, Iran, Persia, in relation to Russia, because it's, it's understandable what Iran's response to this, this treaty would be. Iran... Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, really the Shiite world uh, is extremely against this treaty. 
uh, calling it a, a what is it a, a an accord of idiocy or some of the names that the uh, the uh, Iranian Republican Guard uh, has called it the leadership the Ayatollahs called it that um, you know it's 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 viewed in very very negative terms and that's understandable because uh, the Shiites in particular uh, which make up the large population of the Muslim nations surrounding Israel the leadership tends to be Sunni but the populations tend to be Shiite uh, and so uh, the sentiment against this treaty is one of uh, betrayal on the part of uh, the uh, uh, the UAE and, and also uh, uh, of Bahrain as well they're seen now as traitors as a matter of fact in Iran it has been openly said that Bahrain, uh, Bahrain will be viewed differently if a conflict in the Middle East happens, no longer will they be seen so much as an ally. But uh, I think the um, uh, the leader of the Iranian Republican Guard, I think, talked about measuring Bahrain under a new calculus should a uh, should a conflict break in the Middle East. By the way, I'm going to include an article uh, uh, that some of this information is easily seen uh, read in and in uh, and, and, uh, and the notes. And so, but that being said. Um, the reason that this is seen as betrayal by Iran is twofold. First, it's seen as a betrayal to Islam because, uh, you know, and again, when I say these things, I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear, not every uh, practitioner of Islam, not every Muslim holds this kind of a view. As a matter of fact, uh, in America, I, I would, I, I don't know statistics on this, I don't mean to sound like I do. But the average Muslim that you might meet at work or at the grocery store or something may not have any of these kinds of views, and so we don't necessarily want to lump everybody together. However, uh, if we understand Muhammad and we understand some of the tenets of Islam, Israel does not figure as a friend. And so uh, the fact that, uh, that these nations now, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, have uh, signed a treaty with Israel is something that sets them very directly at odds with their Muslim brothers now. And so part of the, so in terms of Islam, that's a, that's a slap in the face uh, to many of those, especially the Shiites. However, also from a strategic standpoint, it also becomes problematic for Iran because uh, these nations uh, become, from Iranian perspective, potential, a place for a potential foothold for Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, they have been accused of potentially providing a spy foothold for Israel by opening trade and opening travel between the nations. Uh, the intent of the, of the uh, Abraham Accord is to open up a growing number of Muslim nations to have normalized relations with Israel so that they can enjoy the economic and, and, uh, and, and interconnected benefits of that. Uh, you know, commerce from tourism and business and banking back and forth and beginning to sort of break down the walls of animosity so that they can enjoy a peaceful and prosperous uh, Middle East and and, uh, and and for at least a time that may happen uh, and, and I'm, I'm kind of calling and naming this podcast with an element of the temporary nature of this uh, of this of this piece uh, I, I think it will be in some ways a very welcome piece for a time but I do think that in time, this, the strength of this treaty is going to, be going to be tested. And I think that it's going to be tested actually quite soon when discussions about a Palestinian state come to the table again. 
because these nations, though wanting to have commerce and, and, and normalized relations with Israel, still want a Palestinian state. They are still wanting the Palestinian people to have a nation of their own, and the, and the place that that nation's wanted to be is, is, is in what is now Israel. And so there's a lot of discussion about what that may look like, but that discussion is on hold for the time being, um, as is uh, Netanyahu's desire to kind of reclaim these territories for Israel uh, and to begin to build settlements on them again. These things are all on hold, but it won't be for long. It won't be for long. And when that uh, ultimately becomes an issue again, it's going to be something that um, uh, that I think is going to be a, a, an enormous test uh, on this treaty, on diplomacy. I think our president's going to be knee-deep in trying to work this out and everything. I think it's going to become really something to watch. But how do we get there? Well, I think that uh, this treaty in creating an opportunity for Israel to broaden its influence in the region is particularly threatening to it to Iran because Iran uh, uh, is in fact threatened by Israel. You know, Iran hates Israel. Iran, the leadership at least of Iran, I, again, I don't want to throw all Muslims uh, in, in the country uh, necessarily in this pot, but uh, Iran as a nation, nationally, uh, geopolitically speaking, uh, is anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Zion, wanting to thrust Israel into the sea. And so for Israel to have a stronger foothold in the region is something that is not only abhorrent, but is also threatening. And so it may very well be that because Iran will see Israel's growing presence in the Middle East as a geopolitical threat, as a military threat, uh, as a possible threat through spy networks and things like this. And by the way, don't forget, it wasn't too long ago that members of the Mossad broke into Iran and stole all kinds of information and materials on Iran's supposedly non-existent uh, nuclear program and, and displayed them to the world. And so their spy network is pretty, you know, when, you, when your existence depends on your capacity to, uh, to gather intelligence and prepare to, to, you know, to deal with those things, you get pretty good at it. Israel's Mossad is, uh, is not uh, uh, an intelligence agency to be trifled with. And so Iran is rightfully concerned about the potential uh, for Israel's uh, intelligence uh, capabilities to expand with their economic capabilities expanding. So this is not a small thing. And so it may very well be, and this is where I think the hooks and the jaws come in. Uh, remember, the hooks and the jaws are specifically for Magog and to pull them down. And of course, those who tie themselves with Magog will come with her, but Magog is the leader, uh, is the lead nation, Gog being the leader of it. Uh, and so these hooks in the jaws may very well take the form of Iran pressuring Russia to sell them more advanced weapons. Now, Russia already uh, arms Iran to a large degree. And as we mentioned previously, uh, they also arm Iran's proxies, its terrorist uh, arms, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah as well. But they arm them with weapons that are not necessarily top shelf weapons, but are effective weapons. But it may be that now, under the current circumstances, what may be what, what is largely a, a seen as a, a triumph of peace moving forward for Iran may become the means by which they are now required to pressure, they'll have to, they'll feel forced to pressure Russia for far more advanced weapons. And the fact that Israel, you know, they, they try to keep it a secret, I think, but, but the fact that they are the only nuclear power in the Middle East. Um, and now that Iran's nuclear program is 
if not if not non-existent, which I don't think it's non-existent, um, it's at least uh, been set back somewhat by the events that have taken place uh, since Trump took office. Um, it may very well be that they pressure Russia to get not only you know the latest S-class missile systems, but uh, but maybe even nuclear uh, nuclear weaponry or nuclear technology that they can then uh, you know utilize. And so pay attention in the days ahead. I, I don't claim to know that that's going to happen, um, but it's a very reasonable possibility. And if, of course, uh, if there's word of Iran getting nukes, that can elevate tensions not only in the region but around the world. Uh, and again, whereas the world by and large is not involved in Ezekiel 38 39, just those nations around Israel, uh, again, if there's a connection between Ezekiel 38 and 39 precipitating Daniel's 70th week uh, and the Antichrist coming to power, then we definitely want to be paying attention to what's going on. And we, we definitely do want to be paying attention to what's going on there in that part of the world. Um, it's important that we recognize um, that we are living in times where these things can come to pass very quickly. You might recall it was only about a year and a half ago or so, maybe I'm thinking it's more recent than it was, but sometime within the last two years it was, you'll remember how the Middle East uh, became so tense that we literally thought we could be on the verge of Ezekiel 38 and 39 happening right now. Now, I happen to believe that the rapture will happen prior to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, I'm hopeful, but I, I think that that event uh, is going to be an important one that, that has uh, ramifications in last days in the last days scenario beyond our just being gone. I think that event and those left behind dealing with it is going to be an enormous thing. And I think it'll play a part in, in, in all the events that we read about prophetically leading up to the last those very, very last days. And so I don't know that we'll be here for Ezekiel 38 and 39, but there was a part of me that when it was all unfolding, uh, again, in the, within the last couple of years when it all just uh, exploded, my thought was, oh my gosh, we could really see this unfold. But there was a part of me that thought, well, I wonder if we're going to be here for that though. So I, I don't know for what it's worth. I'm, I'm hopeful. But um, that being said, um, we definitely want to be watching and paying attention because we're living in a time where the things that Scripture speaks about are coming to pass right before our eyes. And if God has been clear about prophecy and other things, things like the coming of Messiah, or very specific prophecies throughout Scripture that maybe weren't end times related, but were just prophetic in nature and came to pass exactly as said, oftentimes the mistake we make when in trying to understand prophecy is that we try to maybe spiritualize things, or we, uh, you know, we maybe feel like, well, the last days is such a big thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably not right now. We've always been thinking it's coming and all that. Well, I'll remind you of what Peter talks about when he, uh, when he, when he talks about those who say, well, where's, you know, where's the promise of his coming? You know, since the fathers, these things remain like they've always been and such. You know, when we, when we hear that, we're, we're told those things, not as an encouragement to think that way, but as an encouragement to not think that way. And so when we begin to see the nations described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 coming together, when we begin to see uh, a move globally for a one world government, when we begin to see uh, people losing their minds and not being able to think rationally, uh, things like this set the stage for what the Bible describes ultimately are going to happen. And I think that we would do well to not try to spiritualize these things um, and, and, if, and whatever our particular eschatology is, 
you know, I'm a pre-trib person and I'm that way because I, when I read the scriptures, I think that best suits uh, and fits the description that the scriptures give. I think that's the best, uh, the view that best fits what the scriptures teach. That's my perspective. There are those that I respect that hold other views, but whatever our perspective is, if it causes us to spiritualize the scriptures uh, in places that speak to prophecy, when God has a habit of not spiritualizing things prophetically, I think we want to be a little careful about doing that and making that mistake, because if we do, we're going to find ways to sort of explain away what's going on right in front of us. And uh, I'll also mention again, Jesus uh, condemned the Pharisees for this. You know, there were very specific signs that were referring to the coming of Christ the first time that he expected the Pharisees of all people, the experts in the law, to know and to recognize and to receive when he came. I mean, Jesus wasn't surprised they rejected him and all that, but he said to their faces, you know, you can discern the weather, but you can't tell the signs of the times. That was an indictment. Well, God help us not to make the same mistake in the days in which we live when Jesus is getting ready to come back a second time and there are events that will lead up to that coming. We should be wise and read the scriptures for what they say and not try to sort of change it to fit something that's maybe more comfortable. Instead, we want to, uh, that wasn't for me, by the way, um, but we want to make sure that we read those things and let them tell us what they tell us and not try to read into those things uh, something that might be more comfortable. Um, it's an exciting time to be alive, and the fact that Jesus is coming soon should excite us, as we've been talking about. I find myself talking about that a lot lately, um, and I am excited about that, and I think the body of Christ, by and large, ought to be thrilled at the prospect that Jesus could be coming to take us home soon. We should love that, we should celebrate that, we should be excited about it, and we should prepare and hunker down for it. We should be about the Lord's business in the time that we have left, because like Jesus said, there's 12 hours uh, in the day to work in which, right? And then the night comes and time for work will be over. We're going to be punching out soon. And so I want to be busy uh, about what God's called me to be doing uh, before I ultimately go home. Um, so anyway, again, I don't mean to get on a soapbox per se, but I do want you to get excited. I do want you to think about the fact that we're living in, in, in arguably the most exciting times in the history of the world. And that's not, that's not said lightly. And I think we should be excited and we should have our eyes up. And so God bless you. Thanks for watching. And I, uh, I do hope that you'll read Ezekiel 38, that you'll read the news, that you'll follow what's going on, that you'll uh, be mindful of the fact that, um, that we're getting close. So, all right, well, let me pray us out. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you've put us in a time for such as this, a time such as this, that we're here now in the time that we are for some reason and purpose that you have. Uh, we thank you that we're witnessing these events um, and, and it reminds us and encourages us and thrills us to know that things are finally coming to fruition that you've been talking about for thousands of years. And here we are. So help us to see these things and to allow them to have the proper impact on us. Uh, one of excitement, one of anticipation, and one of recognizing that the time is short, and so we should be about your business, making disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all those things that Jesus taught us. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray for our leaders, that, Father, uh, you know, that they would, they would seek those things that you have spoken of. I don't really know where Trump is, uh, you know, in terms of uh, spiritually speaking, but he seems to be doing a lot of things that uh, in, in, uh, on one hand that, are, that, are, that I really love and am thankful for. But on the other hand, there's other things he does that are questionable. And so, 
Father, I just pray that our leaders would seek you in righteousness and that, Father, on this, at the same token, we as people would not put our hope in our leaders, but would rather rest our hope entirely and fully on Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have comments or thoughts or questions or anything, please feel free to comment below. Uh, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, you can do that right there. If you're watching on my website at parsonspad.com, you can comment there. You can also email me from there directly. And you can email me as well from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And so uh, I look forward to the interaction. And I know when we talk about prophetic things, a lot of people have things to weigh in on. So by all means, feel free. I'd love to, to, to hear your thoughts and everything. Uh, but for now, I'm going to go to work. So God bless you. We'll see you next time.